For the last 2,000 years, the story of Jesus has changed and impacted millions of lives for the better. But when we actually look at the story, it seems pretty impossible, right? Like uh, healing diseases, casting out demons, calming storms. Like how, how is that even possible? And yeah, sure, it seems like a lot of people get a lot out of the story of Jesus. But honestly, the question is, how can this impossible story do anything for me? How can it do anything for my life? Well, that's an excellent question. You're so smart, I'm glad you asked it. So let's talk about it together. Quick question, and don't worry, nobody's gonna hear the answer. Do you believe in aliens? Do you believe in like Bigfoot? You think there's something out there like Bigfoot or the lost city of Atlantis, or maybe even like lizard people? Now, some of those maybe, maybe you do kind of think, well, maybe, but others are pretty hard to believe, right? Well, a lot of people see the story of Jesus in the same way, put it in the same category. In fact, the story of Jesus has always been difficult to believe. Now, virtually, yeah, all scholars believe, whether they're religious or not, all scholars believe that there was a historical man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived in the first century Middle East. And they agree that he was baptized by a guy named John the Baptist and that he was executed on a cross by the Roman officials. But the rest of it, right? The uh, healing of diseases, the casting out demons, the calming of storms, and then the kicker that he died and rose again. That stuff, I think... It's a little harder to believe, isn't it? But we can't deny that something about this story it has impacted millions of people. But I think whether we say this or not, whether we you know, actually would put words to it, we all kind of think and feel like, that's great. You know, I'm glad this story has been good for people. I'm glad they found something that helps them. But I don't, I, I'm good. Like, I'm a good person and I like the Jesus teachings. I like, you know, love your neighbor and stuff like that. That could really help my life. But like changing my life and making a, this huge transformation, let's not get all, all nuts about this Jesus thing, right? Or maybe, maybe you're on the other side. Like, my life is such a mess. Like, there is so much going on that, you know, the story of Jesus, glad people got help, but I need way more than just nice stories about some guy who died 2,000 years ago. Now, whether you find yourself in either of those scenarios or not, I think one thing is true for most of us. And what we might not say it, but deep down, how we think and how we act shows that we find it hard to believe that the story of Jesus can make any difference for our story. Now, we're actually in good company with that because Jesus' first followers had a difficult time believing that his story could make a big difference in their story, including... The Apostle Peter, that guy, the fisherman changed into, you know, student of Jesus. He had a hard time believing and wrapping his mind around what Jesus was actually doing and why he was there and, and the point of all of it. But then he experienced something that completely changed his life. He saw his teacher die and then rise again and remembered that his teacher had predicted that to happen. And so then Peter's life completely changed and he devoted the rest of his life to tell people about this impossible story about his resurrected teacher. And now about 30 to 35 years after the resurrection, Peter had his friend Mark write down his account of Jesus' story. We have it in what we call the book of Mark. And as we read this book, we realize something. We realize that uh, Peter really wants us to know who Jesus is. And I think it's because when we grasp the identity of Jesus, 
the impossible becomes part of our story. In the story of Jesus so far, he's been teaching and, and healing. He sent the 12 disciples out to do the exact same thing, and they healed people and cast out demons and, and preached the kingdom of God. And big crowds have gathered. And there, there was one big crowd, over 5,000 people, and they had no food. And the disciples say, hey, these people need to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, we only have five loaves of bread and, and two fish. And so Jesus then multiplies it and, and feeds everyone. Well, that's where this story picks up. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida, while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. So Jesus is like, you know, guys, thanks for, you know, handing out the food. I'll finish up here. Why don't you get back in the boat, get that rest that we were trying to get earlier. I need to, you know, you, you go on ahead and I'm going to go up and get some silence, solitude, and prayer, something he did all the time. And uh, it's kind of interesting, right? Like Jesus says, go sail across the lake and, you know, I'll find you later. Like how? There's no cell phones. Like how's he going to catch up? How's he going to find them later? Like what's the point of sending them off? We'll find out. But they're, these guys are tired. You know, they're probably like ready to get away from the crowd and get back on the water. And so, you know, they're probably still reeling from the miracle of feeding the 5,000. So they obey and get back in the boat and start rowing. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So these guys, they're on the boat again. They're not making any progress, right? They've been rowing for about 9 to, to 12 hours, going nowhere. They're probably exhausted, right? Think if you're in this boat of 12 teenager guys going nowhere. They're exhausted. They're uh, probably starting to bicker probably starting to blame each other. Like, Judas, why are you so lazy? Like, get rowing, man. And maybe they're starting like to blame Jesus. Be like, why did he even tell us to do this? Walking would have been even faster, I'm sure. Well, it turns out it was. At about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. It says that he like intended to go past, but the wording probably is better. Like it looked like he was gonna walk past him because you're like they're they're stopped on the water, right? Trying to row and going nowhere, and he's just like, doo, 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 doo. what's up, boys? And just and the boys see him and they're like, they see a human form walking across the water in a dark lake, in they're in the middle of a dark lake, in the middle of the night, and they see this form zooming up on them. And the first thought is it's a ghost, right? And they're, they're terrified, which is understandable. I know we're so modern and stuff, but if you were in that situation, you'd be freaking out too. But Mark says that Jesus spoke to them at once. Like he understood this was a scary situation for the guys. Like he took their fear seriously. And he says something interesting. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. He's like, whoa, 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 guys. You don't need to be afraid because I am here. See, Jesus always tells us to base our confidence and trust in him. But the words he uses there, there's actually more to it than what we first see. That phrase of take courage, it should be more like take courage, the I am is here. And we're like, the Jesus, that's like, learn to speak English, Jesus. That's not how we talk. But do you remember that uh, story of Moses and the burning bush? Maybe you saw like the Prince of Egypt or something. Well, God in that story says something pretty interesting. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am. This is God's personal name for himself. 
calling himself the uncaused first cause of everything. That, you know, I need, nothing made me, and I rely on nothing to be here. I am. And the Jewish people, like, they knew that. They knew the story of Moses. They knew that God called himself, I am. In fact, this is the phrase that Jesus uses at his trial with the religious leaders that we'll see later on in the story that gets him the, the death sentence for blasphemy. He says, I am. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're calling yourself God. Well, there's more to the story. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And it's what's funny is Matthew, who was also there, records the same story. And in uh, that version, Peter actually asks to get out of the boat and walk on the water, and he does, and he sinks because he wasn't trusting Jesus. It's funny that um, when Peter's telling the story to Mark, they, they kind of leave that part out. <laughs> so the wind, Jesus gets in the boat, and the wind stops. And the guys are totally amazed, obviously, right? Like, they, how would they—this is impossible. The impossible just happened in front of us. Like, of, of course they're amazed, we say. But the way Mark writes it, he makes it seem like their amazement is a negative thing. Like, why are, you shouldn't be amazed. Your hearts are hard, right? They, they're amazed because they didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves because their hearts were too hard to take it in. It's like, this is a rebuke for being amazed that Jesus can walk on water and calm the wind. It doesn't seem fair because, of course, it's amazing. So what's going on here? Well, think about it. So far in the story of Jesus, what have the disciples experienced? They've seen Jesus again, heal diseases, leprosy, grow shriveled hands. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him calm a storm with just his words. They'd seen him raise a girl from the dead. They've, they were sent out with his power and authority to do miracles, and they did it. And then they saw him feed 5,000 people with just a little bit of food. So what the disciples should have seen by now is that in and through Jesus, the impossible has arrived. But they didn't see it. See, in and through Jesus, God himself, the great I am, has arrived. The king has returned to restore his kingdom to earth, restoring his creation to what it was always meant to be from the beginning, restoring humanity's role to be his image bearers and steward that creation. See, Jesus embodies the life we were meant to have, the authority and the role we were meant to have in the beginning. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. But the disciples' hearts were too hard to believe that this is what Jesus had come to restore. And in Jewish thinking, the heart was the center of uh, thinking and, and understanding. And all of this stuff the, the disciples had been seeing, it was just too much for them. Too much for them to, to grasp. Like they couldn't, they couldn't reason and think their way through like, what's been happening to them. They, and they failed to see the simplest answer. This is all crazy and, you know, like, what's going on here? This is impossible. But they failed to see, like, the simplest answer is that Jesus actually is who he had been saying he was. And it's like Jesus says to the guys, like, you still won't let yourselves understand who I am. Therefore, you can't understand who you are through me. And think about it. Jesus had sent them out to do what he had been doing. Right? He had given them his authority and his power to heal the sick and cast out demons, and then they did it. And then this crowd needs food, if you remember last time. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, you feed them. I don't think Jesus was being cute. I don't think he was asking the disciples to do something he knew they couldn't do, and then he's like, yeah, I'm going to show you guys how awesome I am. Watch this. 
I don't think so. I think Jesus was actually giving the disciples a chance to use their imagination to exercise the authority and power he had given them, or at least to exercise their trust in him. Like he says, when he says, you see these hungry people, right? Hey, you know that power and authority I gave you? You remember that and what you just came back from doing? What are you going to do with it? You feed them. You figure it out. I gave you the power. See, if their hearts had been softer to the truth of what Jesus was actually doing, I think Peter and Andrew and John and the rest of them, they could have divided the food and handed it out to the people. And I picture Jesus as he kind of, you know, sits in the boat and they're like, oh, what just happened? I picture him saying like, remember when I gave you my authority and my power to do what I do? Okay, you remember that. You just got, yes, okay, good, good. You remember that. Now, think back a little bit further. Do you remember when I calmed that storm that was swamping the boat and I just said, be still and everything stopped? Yeah, you remember that? No, remember I gave you my authority? Like, and now you knew I told you to go across the lake, so you knew it was something that I, I knew could happen, yet you're going nowhere. Why did you just not like trust the power and authority that I gave you and get out of the boat and just push it? But they couldn't allow themselves to accept that the impossible but obvious conclusion is that Jesus is who he said he is. And so they couldn't accept the impossible identity Jesus had, was giving them. See, if Jesus is who he said he is, then we can be and do what he said we can be and do. But the disciples couldn't see it. And so when they get back on the shore, Jesus goes back to being the one who is doing all the work. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They, bought, they brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to, to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. See, and it's like Jesus' power, Mark is saying, Jesus' power was good enough for everyone else, but the disciples still didn't think it could do much for them. They didn't think that they were being transformed by Jesus' power. And that's, I think, I think that's us. See, we can see Jesus make a difference in people's lives and still not believe he can do anything with ours. And we think, you know, like we said, that's great for them, you know, but uh, my situation, my situation's, you know, I'm glad they got help, but my situation's impossible. I'll never be able to get past this hurt. It's impossible. I'll never be able to forgive them. I'll, I'll always have to deal with this anger or this fear or this shame. It's impossible to get rid of it. Uh, it's impossible. I'll, I'll never break the cycle I'm in. Or it's, that relationship is broken forever. Reconciliation, it's impossible. And Jesus says, listen, Jesus says, that's what I came for. Soften your heart and see me for who I am, for who I am. Don't be afraid. Take courage. The I am is here. He says, trust me with your story and I will show you the impossible. Trust me with your story. Trust me with who you are, who you can be in me, who you are, you will become who you are always meant to be. Now, maybe you think, you know, maybe it's not that your life's a mess, but maybe it's like, you know, good teachings, Jesus, but yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm a good person. Thanks for the, the good reminders and the course correction and the stories about love. But, you know, I don't really think you can do much for my life. Like, it's already pretty good, you know? And then we go back to our boring lives and we don't you know, doing what we've always done and hoping things work out for the best. We uh, never actually experience life in the kingdom of God. 
We never become who we were created to be. We never see the power of Jesus working in our lives and see the power of Jesus working through us. And Jesus says, soften your heart. Allow yourself to see that the impossible is here. Trust me. Trust who I am making you to be. Experience real life in me and actually working through me. Get out of the boat and start pushing because you trust me. See, and he might not always have us healing diseases and casting out demons and moving mountains. No, he probably has something even more difficult and more impossible for us to do. Help transform lives, change lives, ours and others. See, nothing is more difficult to change than transform than the human heart. Trust me, I've tried. And that's the real miracle that we get to be involved in, is actually seeing God change the impossible, change a hard heart to something that is as as transformed. See, Jesus can take lives that are marked by fear and anxiety and anger and bitterness and self-destructive patterns and change those lives into lives of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, no matter how strong the storm is, Jesus is still walking on the water. Jesus is still coming. He calls out, don't be afraid. I am here. Now, when the disciple John records this same story, he also added a few other details. He says that um, when Jesus gets to the boat, that they were eager to let him in. They were willing to let him into the boat. They were willing and eager. See, we must be willing to let Jesus in the boat. Jesus won't make a difference in our lives until we are willing to let him make a difference in our lives. And we can do, we, you know, we can do what we usually do and just choose to keep our fear and, and keep rowing and trying to do it ourselves, going nowhere. Or we can choose to humble ourselves and let Jesus into the boat. And John also adds that when Jesus got into the boat, something crazy happened. He gets in the boat and immediately they are where, at their destination. It's kind of crazy, but they've been rowing all night, going nowhere. They're exhausted. They're overwhelmed. They're hopeless. And then they let Jesus in the boat and automatically the battle is over. The fear is gone. The work is done. The task just became doable. The journey has come to a beautiful conclusion. The impossible happened, right? Think about it. The impossible happened right in front of the disciples' eyes and they couldn't see it for what it was. They couldn't see what Jesus was actually doing and who he actually was. And so my question to all of us watching this and listening to this is, are you willing, are you willing to see it and accept it? Are you willing to see who Jesus is and accept what he is doing in the world and in your life? We just have to be willing to see the impossible, that Jesus is the I am. So let's not waste another day, another moment just saying, it's impossible, it can't happen. No, if he is, if Jesus is who he said he is, that has huge implications. It means we can be who he said we can be. We can do what he said we can do. We can have the life he said we can have. So what for maybe you're new to this whole idea. So whatever it takes, however long it takes, however impossible it might seem, I encourage you, I challenge you, I invite you to find a real solid answer for yourself to the question of who is Jesus. Take your time investigate. Maybe you think you already know. Well, take the time to actually learn who the real Jesus is, because finding that answer is the first step to experiencing the impossible. Now, also, whether you've, you know, found that answer for yourself or not, here's, here's another invitation. This week, ask, if Jesus is who he said he is, what does that mean for me 
today? Maybe write down that question somewhere. You'll see it every morning. If Jesus is who he said he is, what does that mean for me today? See, think about it. What if the impossible is true? What if he is who he said he is and can do what he said he can do and that we can be and do what he said we can be and do? What does that really mean for you? What does that what would that really mean for us as a as a community and as a city and as a country and as a world? It means that we are meant to be and experience more. It means the impossible is really possible. It means we can truly discover, enjoy, and share the life Jesus offers together. See, Jesus makes the impossible possible in each of our lives. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there'll be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello. Uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you, and we'll see you next week.